Good evening. My name is Paul Harrington, for those of you who don't know me. Um, and I am very pleased to be here tonight to share God's Word with you. I actually, I actually really enjoy preaching. Um, I'll tell you what I don't enjoy is preparing the lesson. It is the most difficult thing I do probably all year long is when I prepare a lesson for a sermon. Um, I feel a great weight when someone asks me to preach. It's almost as if God himself has said, the elders want you to say something, there's something going on in your life, and I want you to share it. And so, when I was asked to speak tonight, I had a feeling of dread because I had to prepare the lesson. But as I stand before you today, now the lesson is done and I feel great. So, um, The problem is I always have the worst time deciding what a group this side needs to hear, size needs to hear. Uh, I labor over that. What do you all need to know? What is what is it that's going to change your life? Maybe I thought, let's talk about evangelism. That is that is always needed. Maybe I should talk about missions. I love missions. Um, but a new Christian gave me some great advice. He said, don't try to talk to everyone when you preach. Just Just speak what God has told you to speak. And if one person hears the message, then all your effort will have been worth it. So tonight I'm going to follow his advice and I'm going to speak in what the Spirit, I think, is leading me, convicting me to talk about. And I'm going to tell you a series of stories tonight to illustrate what I want to say. The stories are all true. All of them are about people I know, people actually that go to this church. I'm going to change the details and the names a slight bit so you don't recognize them. I want to the glory for these things to go to God and not these people, and I think they feel the same way. So let's get started. A friend of mine, John, had been struggling with something. Have you ever had a decision that kept you up at night? Something that weighed you down? Something that gnawed on your conscience like a, like a drill bit slowly turning into soft wood? My friend John went to his friend Bill and he asked advice because he had uncovered something at his job. While he was looking for a missing box of products, he stumbled across the fact that there was a theft going on in his work. Now at first he was shocked and he tried to dismiss it. He's like, that's not, that's not happening. But as the pieces of the evidence came together, he realized he couldn't deny that someone was stealing from the place he worked. He discovered items online on an online website, and they were all coming from Wichita. They were all items that his company dealt with. And even worse, as he dug into the details, he discovered it looked like there was more than one person involved. You see, when he began his job, there was, there was this unofficial policy stating, you know, if something was thrown away, then the employees could take it home. It was just trash. But as time went on, the clear line that was started clear became blurred. And as he continued to research, he realized that if he went forward with what he found out, him and his other friends at work would be brought into question as well. One of the people stealing was even a Christian. He came to his friend Bill, distraught, hurt, and in need of advice. So what should he do? If he turned over the evidence he found, then his whole group at work would be put under scrutiny. And one of his friends would be likely fired, if not go to jail. His friend had young young family, kids to take care of. If he could only get his friend to stop stealing, that was, that was it, right? If he could just get him to stop stealing, maybe, maybe he wouldn't have to tell on, about this. Maybe he could just warn the guy and get, get it to go away. As Bill listened to the story, he knew the answer to John's questions. We all know the right answer to John's question of what he should do. But John really wasn't worried for himself. You see, John had never crossed the line of integrity. His main concern was for his friend and his co-workers, and as he talked 
He even revealed his wife's very wise advice to him. She asked him, if this person wasn't your friend, would you have gone forward already? Without hesitation, he said, of course, yes. She told him, then you know what the right thing to do is. Like I said, his wife was pretty wise. That's a Solomon question right there. And yet, as John talked, he, lifted, he listed off the things to Bill he had thought of to find a way out. He wanted a way out, something to do the right thing. His mind ranged over wild schemes. He was going to mail anonymous letters and make calls. He even joked about them. If I just blackmail him on the side secretly, then I'll, it'll make it all go away. But all of them put John and his own family and his integrity at risk. And really, all he was voicing was the temptation he was feeling to hide things in the dark. The problem is that dark doesn't protect anything. And when the light finally comes to those who comes, those who are hiding things in the dark are exposed. The problem is the ones who are hiding things look as guilty as the ones who actually did the things. At the end of all this, Bill told him, you, you know what the right thing to do is, don't you? And heartbroken and sick, he did know. So the next week, he went forward and gave his findings to the company. One of his friends was fired. His friend might still go to jail. His team is under scrutiny. He doesn't know the final outcome yet. But two things emerge in the aftermath of all this. Number one, my friend John really never had anything to worry about. Not for himself, at least, because he had never crossed that line. And even though the decision was hard because he loved his friend, how much harder would it have been if he had been guilty himself? It was hard, but he was blameless. So 1 Peter 3.16 was true of him. And he said, as it says, And keep a good conscience so that the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. And number two, he maintained his integrity. What would it have cost him to cover this up? What would he have lost because of the sins of his friend? It would have cost him his integrity. How important is integrity? That's, that's really what I want to talk to you guys about, integrity. How could John expect to be blessed by God if he, his life was filled with deception? God has never blessed deception. God has blessed people in spite of deception, but God has never blessed someone because of deception. We need to hear this because today we're being told that deception is good. Deception is important. We need to lie to people. It smooths things out. It covers the wrinkles in life. Lies like the oil that goes in the engine, you know, just makes everyone happier, smoother. Our culture applauds it. We, we call heroes the people who tell the greatest lies and get away from it. And the world has been telling us this for a long time now. Back in 1990, I, I can't believe that's almost 23 years ago, um, on the NBC Today show, Dr. Michael Lewis of the New Jersey Robert Wood Johnson Medical School, that's a mouthful, had claimed, lying is an important part of social life, and children who are unable to do it are children who may have developmental problems. I'll tell you this, I may not be a PhD, but I can easily tell you what God thinks about this. We're going to be in the book of Proverbs tonight, if you guys want to open your Bibles. Um, we're going to jump around a little bit, but uh, well, there will be quite a few verses in Proverbs, so if you want to go ahead and turn there now. We're going to go to Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22, tells us very plainly, The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. God just doesn't mildly dislike little white lies. 
He doesn't cringe a little bit when we cheat on our taxes. He doesn't feel slightly uncomfortable when we get too much change and just walk away from the, from the cashier. He detests it. He hates it. As I studied for this talk, I read scripture after scripture about how God feels about this. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 through 19. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among his brothers. Proverbs 19.9 A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who breathes out lies will perish. Psalms 101.7 Sorry, I'm moving fast now, so if you feel free, just listen. No one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. And finally, in the New Testament, Colossians 3, 9 through 10, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. A lot of you here tonight, Sunday night, you've, you've been in the church a while. Have you ever been to a Bible study and you're studying this passage that you've all read like a thousand times? And we like to play this, this game, you know, we... The, the truth is so obvious, and we've heard it so many times, so we just kind of ignore it, and we try to start making up this new truth. We play this game I like to call, Who's Read the Most Commentaries? And you say, okay, well, let me tell you about the political, the political things of the day. Let me tell you about the emotions that you know, Paul was feeling here. Let me tell you about all these things. I've been there, and I realized an amazing fact, and the fact is this. We don't have to come up with new truth the truth in front of our eyes is already hard enough. The problem isn't that we don't have enough PhDs in theology. The problem is that we are not following the basic truths we see in plain sight. If we aren't even obeying the simple things, how can we appreciate the deep things of God? That's what this is. It's simple. It's straightforward. God hates lying. He hates dishonesty. God wants his people to be a people of integrity. Another story. A friend of mine shocked me a few years back. Let's call him Joseph. You see, he had an insurance claim on his house, right? And this is crazy. He had an insurance claim. He got the money. He fixed his house. And then the repair cost less than the insurance money that the insurance company had given him. So he went to the insurance company and he tried to give back the extra money. Can you imagine... Can you imagine the conversation with the insurance adjuster? Oh, yes, my name is Joseph. Uh, I'd like to give you guys some money. Uh, I'm sorry, sir, you must have the wrong number. Um, we give money to people who have filed claims. No, no, you see, the re repair in my house costs less than you gave me, so I'd like to give back the difference. You'd like to give back the difference? Yeah, I'm sure you have this happen all the time. No, sir, this is the first time. You know, this challenged me. This, challenge, this story challenged me a lot. It's true. Um, you see, you have a contract with a company. This is the way I figure it. You have a contract with a company. You pay them lots of money. I think too much money. And then if something happens, they pay you whatever amount they see fit, right? And that's just like if you get extra, that's just a bonus. I mean, I still struggle with this idea. But the wonderful part about this man's honesty is I don't struggle with how dishonesty is. I struggle with how honest that man is. 
I'm not telling you a story about how dishonest someone is. I'm, we all have those stories. This man that did something that set him apart. You think the man at the insurance company, if he met Joseph on the street and Joseph asked him to go to church, you think that his witness would have some power behind it? That man's witness would be powerful for God because he did something no one else would do for the sake of integrity. The problem is most people in the world have more stories about the other side. The times they were cheated or wronged. The sad part is a lot of those stories involve Christians. Why is this? Some of us are caught. Some of us here tonight are caught. We're caught in a lie. We're caught in a deception. We're participating in it today. Maybe it's at your work. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's with your family. Maybe it's with your friends. There's something going on that's not honest. Maybe it's stealing. Maybe it's lying. Maybe it's cheating on your taxes, your spouse. Maybe you have a pattern in your life where you've lied so many times you can't even... You can't even tell that you're lying anymore. Have you met people like that? You're not even sure if they can tell the truth anymore? They've lied so many times? What's my goal tonight? We've all heard this before, right? Another sermon on lying and integrity. Am I here just to make everyone feel rotten? What do I hope to accomplish? So as the the man I was named after, Paul the Apostle, said, I come to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. That's me. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. I listened to a sermon, a lot of sermons, as I prepared for this talk, and one that I kept coming back to is by a man you probably heard of, Francis Chan. He says a lot of crazy things. He wrote the book Crazy Love. Um, it's pretty crazy. So. And he has a couple of really powerful examples. And I want to talk about this first in the book of Acts, right? So we, if you want to, feel free to turn to the book of Acts, chapter 5. Do you realize that in the, in, there's only one time in the New Testament that God reached out and just struck someone down and killed them? Only one time. It's Acts, chapter 5. So the church is new. Just had Pentecost. We've got 3,000 people in town. Can you imagine if 3,000 people just showed up at Northside? And they all just needed a place to stay. You know, their credit cards are maxed out. We're, we're like, um... You guys got any food? Because you know, we're going to be in town for a while. We're, we're, we're moving here. This is where the church is beginning. And, you know, Barnabas, he's awesome. He goes out and sells a field that he owes, right, and, and donates the money to everybody so they can live. You know, he's, we should give him a nickname or something like Son of Encouragement. He's, he's awesome. And so they see this. Ananias and Sapphira see this in chapter 5. And let's read in chapter 5, verse 5. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself. With his wife's full knowledge and bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart You have not lied to men, but to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came over all who heard it. The young men got up and covered him up, and after carrying him out, they buried him. And now there elapsed an interval about three hours. His wife's like, where's Ananias? His wife comes in not knowing what happened, and Peter responded to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, 
Yeah, that, that was a price. And Peter said to her, Why is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out as well. And immediately she fell at his feet, breathed her last, and the young men came in and found her dead. And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard these things. Great fear. Are you kidding me? Can you imagine that today? Hey, Brian Middleton, how's it going? Heard you sold your business, yeah? Yeah, I heard you gave 30% of the business, yeah, to the church. Is that true? Oh, it is? No, it's not true. I know it's not true. Boom, Brian Middleton's dead. <laughs> Kathy's sitting next to him. Uh, yeah, that was the price. Boom! Kathy Middleton's dead. Great fear. This, can you imagine next week if I ask someone a question? They'd be like, okay, am I being 100% honest? Am I sure this is the right answer? That's the power of God. Sometimes God works that way. Sometimes he exposes sin. We don't even have a choice. You remember the story of David? You know, David, he, God sends Nathan, prophet of David. He tells David this awesome story about, what would you do? There's a man who has a lot of sheep, and a, he takes, and takes the man's sheep who only has one sheep. David's like, I'd kill that man. Maybe something I'm paraphrasing. And Nathan says, that man is you. Sometimes we don't have a choice whether or not. God exposes sin in our lives, and we don't have the ability to choose. But that's the power of God. Sometimes nothing external happens, and someone just comes forward and confesses. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that so much better when it's not a story about someone getting caught on the TV? It's not a story about something that's come under investigation because of blah, blah, blah. You know, but someone comes forward of their own conscience and confesses. I love that. Don't you guys love that? Restoration. The path to restoration and confession. Repentance. I'm praying for that. I'm praying for that tonight. I've been praying this for a week. You know, a lot of times you do a sermon, you do a lot of study, but I think I kind of took the advice of Francis when I heard his sermon. He said he prayed a lot for his, and I, I think I did more prayer than study because it's not hard. It's not a hard concept. And I've been praying a lot that, that we would be convicted tonight. John tells us, in, or Jesus tells us in John 16, that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin. And I want you all... I wanted you all to take a second to pray that. I'm going to pause for a minute. I want you guys to pray and ask that the Holy Spirit will come in this room tonight and convict us if there's something in our life that needs to come out. Let's bow our heads and pray for a minute. God, I just want to lift up your church. I want, Lord, I want to pray that you will help come into our lives. You will cleanse our families. You will cleanse our businesses. You will cleanse our relationships. You will cleanse our personal thought life, Lord. And I, I pray that you will do that. I pray, Lord, that you will convict us if we need to make a change. You will make it a strong conviction so that we cannot just turn away and deny it, Lord. I ask this thing in your son's holy name.
I realize there are some here tonight that you're sitting there and you realize you don't have the faith to come clean with the thing that's in your life. You don't have enough faith to trust God to, to see you through the storm that coming clean would create. You know, that's a powerful revelation. I want to talk to you right now because I know what that's like. As I studied this scripture, another one came up, Proverbs 37. And I want to, it, this is the same scripture brought me to that same conviction. It was a proverb from a wise man named Agur Proverbs 37. It says his inspired words. He says, two things I'll ask of you, Lord, do not refuse me before I die. So there's only two things he wants before he dies. If you could ask any God any two things you wanted before he died, I'm not saying Agur got it, but if you could, what would they be? I'm going to say, spoiler alert, it's probably not the rest of this verse. Number, verse 8, Proverbs 30, verse 8, Keep falsehood and lies from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. So we ask, number one, to keep him honest. And number two, don't make me too poor. Don't make me too rich. Only give me what I need each day so I never have to stop relying on you. Can you imagine someone in America praying this prayer? Can you imagine someone in America saying, please, God, please don't make me rich. Just let me live paycheck to paycheck for the rest of my life till I die. I mean, that's countercultural. That's against what we believe in, right? That was when, that, when I read that and I sat there and listened to that, I... That was when it hit me. I realized I came not to a cold analysis, but it hit me straight in the face. I don't have the faith to pray that prayer, to ask for God to not bless me. Don't make me rich. Don't only give me what I need day to day. I don't have that level of faith right now. And that rocked me. And I began to weep because it, it was a severe sadness I had to realize I did not have that level of faith. And I began to pray again. And what I could pray for was that would God would please give me the level of faith to one day be able to pray that prayer. And my point is to you in the audience who are in the same boat tonight. You don't have the faith to come clean. But what you can do is pray for God to give you the faith to come clean. I'd like to close with my last with one more story about a friend of mine. This friend, growing up, he was a healthy young man. He liked girls. In college, he started to look at pornography. He knew it was wrong, but it was so easy with the internet. Only a click away and the whole world of sin was at his fingertips. He would feel bad for a while, he'd stop. But it seemed like there was this cycle. Uh, he believed the lie one day that when he got married, it would just fix everything. So he would repent and fail, repent and fail, repent and fail. Till one day he found the girl of his dreams. He got married, and things were great for a while. First couple months, everything was great. Newness of the marriage, excitement kept him pure. Until a few months later, he fell back in. Because getting married hadn't fixed the problem of sin in his life. He had never brought that sin out into the light and let God deal with it. So he hid it from his wife for the first three years of his marriage until one day he was eating him alive. He said, how can I ever become close? How can this ever be my true soulmate if I have this, this lie between us? So he prayed for God's wisdom. 
And he prayed and prayed for the strength. And one day he prayed and he just told her. He just told his wife. To say she was hurt was an understatement. She didn't understand. She felt like she'd been cheated on. He thought his marriage was over. And that was when he truly began to pray. And God was faithful and he worked a miracle in that marriage. And over months, his wife was able to forgive him, if not years. As he was accountable to her, their relationship became stronger. And in pain and vulnerability, a new bond was formed stronger than the marriage that they had before. God saved that marriage, and the festering lie that was inside of it had been cleansed out, and it was a better marriage. And it turned into a testimony to the forgiveness of God and the love of a wife. I tell that story because some of you here here tonight thinking, he doesn't know what it would mean for me to come clean. It's easy for him to say it doesn't cost him anything. Some of you are protecting things. You're holding on to things because your faith isn't big enough for, to let God cleanse it. But I say to you with confidence that he is big enough. And he loves us enough to forgive us and make it right. I can say that with confidence because I do know the risk. That marriage was my marriage, and that story is my story. And as 1 John 1 9 says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen? So even though we are a flawed people, and we are convicted and we confess and we change and we confess and we change as we're convicted again and again. And we slowly move towards the image of Jesus Christ, an image of integrity. That's my hope for us tonight, each and every one of us. That's God's hope. If you've been convicted tonight by the Spirit, I ask that you don't forget, don't sweep it under the rug one more time. Find someone tonight you trust to help you regain your integrity. If you would like to talk to myself or one of the elders, I'll be down front. We're going to sing an invitation song. And I would love to help you regain your integrity. Come as we stand and sing.